0: Hello, welcome to the West Side podcast. This is where we'll post some of our audio from our sermons on Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. West Side's vision is to reconcile people to God through the grace of Jesus step by step. We hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can you pray with me this morning as we continue with our service? God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity to be here, to be with this church, with this group of people. Father, this is a congregation of believers. Yes, this church is part of the larger body of believers in Lane County and across the world. But this is also a special and loved group of people in your sight, God. And this morning, Father, I pray that you would remind us of that. That your hands are on this church with these people in their lives. Watching for them, caring for them, guiding them, and bringing them toward the future that you have planned for them. So God, give us hope, give us encouragement, remind us that we are more loved than we will ever know. pray these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So this is an interesting section of scripture because some of this, most of this is so encouraging and so uplifting and so positive. I look at this and, and I read, you know, verses one through three and even the end of the, even the end of the Psalm, it's just filled with this picture of God as this loving shepherd, this caring shepherd who is there providing for his sheep. And they paint this beautiful picture of the character of God and who he is and what it is that we know and trust about this God that we believe in. He leads us beside quiet, refreshing waters. He restores our souls. He leads us in paths of righteousness and teaches us what it means to belong to him. He provides for us, prepares a table, even in the presence of our enemies. He anoints us. His loving kindness and his goodness will follow us forever. And every time I come to this scripture, there's a part of me that wants to focus on those things and wants to spend my time only in that place. I want to talk about verses 1 through 3 and verses 5 through 6. I want to talk about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. I want to talk about anything and everything except verse 4. But verse 4 is still there, isn't it? And it's part of this passage. And as I read through this, I'm struck by the power of what's going on in verse 4 and what it speaks to me. And what it reminds me of, see, verse 4 is the one that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And that's the section of Scripture that I want to focus on this morning. That's what I want to look at. And that's where I want to spend some time. And this is a difficult section because it raises some really important questions. And I found for myself, as as I was wrestling through this and looking at this passage of Scripture, I kept getting stuck on verse 4. And I had this question that kept coming back to me. I had this question that I had to try and uh, wrestle with. But before we get that, I wanna talk about that phrase this morning. It says, the shadow of death. As a phrase, it's this powerful metaphor. It shows us this picture of a place where death is standing so close that we are in its shadow, that it's looming over us. And it's interesting because I have to imagine that while David wrote this, he himself was probably dealing with some traumatic circumstances, but he himself wasn't dying. He was dealing with something else in his life, but it felt so overwhelming and it felt so dark that he likened it to death. It's interesting because there are physical locations in the country of Israel, places where there are valleys that are so narrow and so deep that the sunshine only gets to the bottom of the valley when it's almost directly overhead. Because of the nature of the desert terrain and how water and floods there work, there's a lot of really deep, narrow valleys that have been carved through the country and sometimes shepherds would have to travel through those to get where they were trying to go, but it also meant that a lot of predators would hide there. It was dangerous to travel through these valleys. There were predatory animals that knew that people and animals had to travel through there. There were human predators, bandits, that were pretty common to the area. And so it was commonly understood that not only were these places sort of metaphorically shadowed and metaphorically dark, they were physically dark and physically dangerous as well to travelers. And this almost admits that here in this section, He ends and he reminds us, this is a place of fear. Fear matters here while he's traveling through this. And David, as he wrote this, and as we're talking about it this morning, he's comparing this and using this as a picture for all the places and moments in life that that we walk into where we deal with that same sense, that same sense of wrongness, that same sense of -of out-of-placeness, that same sense of fear or danger, those places that cause us to say, this can't be right. What happened? How did I get here? And I imagine that there are some of you this morning in this season for your church, as as Brooks has moved to a new ministry appointment, some of you love Courtney as well, and I will absolutely not apologize for stealing her to our church, because that's where she went, anybody who didn't know, okay? But I understand at the same time that it, it lends itself to this sense of where you guys are kind of in this place going, God, really, is this the right path that you have us on? Is this where we're supposed to be? And the answer this morning is yes. Because the truth is that we live in a fallen world, damaged by sin and at least partly under the control of an enemy who does want us to suffer. You know, I don't wanna make any mistakes this morning. There is a degree to which all of life or much of life is gonna be this valley of the shadow of death, where we're gonna live with this sense of wrongness, this sense of out of placeness, this sense of God, really, this is what you have for me? This is where we're going? Because this doesn't feel quite right. It might be the death of a loved one, the loss of a job or financial hardship, an illness, an injury, or maybe it's just the bad day that you had, or that all-pervasive sense of anxiety and depression that we've just sort of learned to accept as normal. And I'm not trying to equate small or seemingly trivial hardships with, like, major life catastrophes. I recognize there's a difference between those two things, but at the same time, the existence of major life catastrophes doesn't invalidate the small stuff that we deal with either, does it? That there is, those experiences that we go through, those hardships that we carry, that we deal with, are real, and they matter, and God sees what's going on. We live in a fallen world, and we feel the impact of that in a thousand ways every single day. But this brings us back to that initial question, the one that kept coming to my mind, the one that I kept wrestling with. Every time I read verse 4, and the question is, how did the sheep get in the valley? Why are they there? What happened? They were lying in green pastures and walking beside still waters a minute ago. Where did those go? What happened to this picture? And I think this is where we can start to get ourselves in trouble sometimes because there are a lot of ways to try and answer that question. And some of them are useful and some of them are really, really not useful. I think it's easy for us to read that passage and to jump to the assumption, oh, the sheep must have wandered away from the shepherd and they found themselves in the valley of the shadow of death. They sort of got separated, or maybe they were particularly naughty sheep and they didn't listen to the shepherd and they ended up in the valley of the shadow of death and now he's having to come rescue them. But it's easy to fall into this place of assuming that the sheep are there in verse four, the valley of the shadow of death, because it's their own fault, because they did something, because they were, I don't know, subpar sheep, particularly dumb sheep, whatever it is, and they landed themselves in this position. Or the other assumption that we can come to, and I think this is an equally poor answer, is that maybe the shepherd was really bad at being a shepherd. Maybe the shepherd was not leading them particularly well, and it was his fault that the sheep ended up in the valley. Because in some way, all the bad answers really revolve around those two possibilities, don't they? Either the sheep are bad at being sheep, and they got themselves in the valley, or the shepherd's bad at being a shepherd, and he got them sheep into the valley. But as I read this psalm, it occurs to me that some of our struggles come with how we try to answer this question, how did the sheep get into valley, in either either of those two ways. But some of our problems also come because we're willing to settle for those two answers. And some of our problems with this come because we're not willing to press beyond that and look for other answers to this question. It occurs to me that the psalmist as he wrote this didn't have either of those two things in mind because what if the sheep didn't get into the valley by being bad and what if the shepherd is actually really good at his job what does that mean for what's going on here what does that mean for me for these seasons of my life because in Psalm 23 it doesn't look like the sheep got there on accident the shepherd's been leading them the whole time and we're told even in verse 4 the shepherd is right there with them isn't he They they will not fear because the shepherd is with them his rod and his staff they comfort them So what does it mean for us if God is the one leading us into the valley? Because we're not really talking about sheep this morning, are we? That's not what David is primarily concerned with as he writes this story. And if the sheep in his metaphor in Psalm 23 here didn't end up there on accident, if they're being led by the shepherd, then what does that mean for us? if God is the one leading us into this space, this time, where there is no senior leader and we feel untethered? What if God was the one leading my church through our transition, through me into a season of time where I lost my father and my pastor and was wrestling with those questions? What does it mean if God is the one walking me into and through that space? It comes with some pretty hard and some pretty heavy questions, doesn't it? Because it leaves me in a place of doubting, okay, how good is this God really? If he's willing to take me here, I read a line from a commentator as I was studying this section, and he said, The dark valley is as truly one of God's righteous paths as are the green pastures. A fact that should take much of the sting out of any ordeal. And his presence with us overcomes the worst thing that remains the fear. See, the path that the shepherd wants to take the sheep on goes through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not an accident. It's part of the journey. David would have been very familiar with this from his own experience as a shepherd. He would have gone through this many times when he was younger. Sometimes you have to take sheep to certain places, and the only road that gets there, or the best road that gets there, is a road that goes through a dark and dangerous place. And this is where I want to pause for a moment and remind us of the rest of this particular psalm because the whole psalm is about the goodness of God, isn't it? The whole psalm is couched in and sort of suffused by this idea that he is a good shepherd, that he really does care about us. He ends by saying, surely goodness and love and kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the thrust of the whole place. So verse 4 is not out of or somehow disconnected from the rest of that, is it? It's still an expression of the goodness of God. But that leaves us in a place of sort of wrestling with this question, how can a season like that be part of the goodness of God? How does God's goodness square with the moments in life where he takes us into and through hardship, difficulty, and pain? What sort of God would allow this? God would never do that. Big or small, it almost doesn't matter, right? Isn't he God? Wouldn't it be better for the sheep to not go through the valley? Isn't there another road that gets where you wanna go? Isn't it possible to just do this a less painful way? And I think maybe this is why we're so ready to accept some of the other answers, some of the bad answers first before this one because there are some things that come along with this perspective that are tough to wrestle through. Which is easier to believe? That the pain and suffering in my life can be chalked up to some combination of bad luck, my own failures and other people's bad choices, or that maybe God himself decided that the valley of the shadow of death was the road that he was gonna lead me down to where he wanted us to go. Because if I believe that God can and will lead me into the valley of the shadow of death, it's probably gonna cause me to ask some pretty hard questions about how good he is. And I don't know about you, but I find myself pretty profoundly uncomfortable with some of those questions. And this was exactly the place that I obviously found myself in 2020 after dad passed and COVID comes and as a church, right? We shut down for almost 10 months. We didn't have people in the building. I don't know how you guys handled it or navigated it, but we went entirely to video, which was a totally new experience for us. We had never really done live video at our church before. And thank God, we had a tech savvy volunteer on our team who stepped in and dedicated a lot of hours and got us there. But for like 10 months, we didn't have anybody in the building. I was preaching to an empty auditorium you know, and leading worship for an empty auditorium. It was a pretty bizarre and strange feeling and a strange year in in a lot of ways. And in that space, so many of these questions were the ones that I was wrestling with. I knew that God's hands were all over my dad's passing. I knew it wasn't just some random accident. I knew that God's spirit was covering that whole situation. I knew that he was covering our church. I knew that he was walking with us, with my family, but also with the church as well. And yet I still felt wrong about so much of it. Anybody ever dealt with like, I know this, but I feel this. And these two things don't square with each other very easily and I'm caught in this space of wrestling and difficulty as I try to sort of resolve these two disparate feelings. And I've had to take all that stuff and wrestle through it with God. I've had to invite him into that space. How can this possibly be the right road to be on? Wasn't there a better way to do this? And this is the situation that you guys are in right now. Maybe for some of you, on a personal level, completely divorced from anything that's going on here at the church, maybe you are walking through a season of time like this, but your church is also walking through a season of time like this as well, where there is no senior leader, you don't know what's coming next, and it comes with some heartache. And anyone who's ever dealt with moments in life like this has had to deal with some degree of the same thing, some degree of these same questions, the same wrestling, Can God still be the good God that we have always believed him to be and also be the God who is leading us into and through this hard thing? Does the one negate the other? In so many ways, this is the story of Job, right? If you've ever read through the book of Job, this is what he wrestles with. Job is a man who has everything and then God allows him, gives permission for him to lose it all. It all gets taken away with him. He loses his wealth, he loses his riches, he loses his family, he loses his health, he loses his home, and he's left sitting in the middle of the road in a mud puddle in misery. And then we're told that three of his friends come along to be a source of comfort to him. And at first they get it right. Some of you know where this story is going and you understand why this is a little bit humorous. At first they get it right because his three friends come and they just sit with him for like three days and nobody says anything. And they just sit with him. And anybody who's been through a season of heartache and hurt and loss knows how powerful that can be, right? To have someone who cares about you, someone who understands you, come and just sit. And they didn't feel the need to try and explain anything away or to contextualize his hurt or anything. They just sat with him. And then they opened their mouths and started talking. And this is where the story gets funny, right? Because as soon as the conversation starts, every word that comes out of their mouths is problematic. And this conversation starts for like 30 chapters between Job and his three friends. And they're trying to answer this same question. Why is the sheep, Job, in the valley of the shadow of death right now? And both of them, the friends and Job himself, get stuck in those same two bad answers. The the friends get stuck in this place saying, Job, you must be a particularly naughty sheep. You got yourself into this valley. You're here and it's your own fault that you're stuck here. And in some variation, some spin on that theme, his three friends spend chapter after chapter after chapter trying to convince him that really it's his own fault that he's in this season of life. And Job keeps pushing back and saying, I don't think that's the right answer. I don't think that's what's going on here. And at first, Job is okay. He approaches this from a balanced perspective. He says, maybe there's, a, maybe there's another answer, a better way to understand this. But then he starts to drift into that other problematic answer, doesn't he? Because by the end of the book of Job, he's in this place of going, you know what? I think God screwed up. This isn't my fault. This must be God's fault. And the two of them represent these two perspectives on Job's hardship, where either it's the sheep's fault that he got there, or it's the shepherd's fault that he got there. And we see them play out these two perspectives. And then I love the end of the story because we're told that there was a young man named Elihu who has been sitting there listening to their conversation the whole time. And he stands up and he says, guys, I kept my mouth shut because I wanted to defer to your wisdom. But all y'all are dumb. Okay? And I have to stand up now because both of you are giving bad answers at this point. And I have to be the one who defends the character of God, the good shepherd, because you aren't doing it. And he says, Job is not here because God is bad at being God. And I don't think Job is here because he's necessarily bad at being Job either. I think maybe there's another answer and he stands up and he gives this awesome speech where he vindicates the character of God and he says, Job, you are here because this is part of what God wanted to do in your life and part of where he's taking you. And he says, I realize that's a tough perspective, but we need to find a way to become okay with that. And it's so easy for us to get stuck in that same place with all the same bad answers while avoiding the possibility that maybe we need to pass through something pretty unpleasant in order to get to the place that God is taking us to go. Some of you may know um, Pastor A.J. Swoboda. He works at Bushnell University now. But he wrote a book a little while ago called After Doubt, and I'd like to read a quote from it. It says this, Recognizing that pain is a necessary part of the Christian experience frees us from needing to do away with it Jesus Christ is not always a solution to pain. He is often the cause of it. Jesus Christ solves the sin issue, not the pain issue. To follow Jesus is to follow him into the pain, into the dark emotions, into the difficulty. How we ever deceived ourselves into believing that picking up your cross could be a solution to pain is perplexing. Cross is hurt. And I want to take a minute this morning to acknowledge something, okay? I'm not saying that every single difficulty in life is somehow God-ordained or God-led. I recognize well and truly that there are some difficulties in life where it is my fault. There is a degree that I brought something on myself, or there are some circumstances that we go through that God had nothing to do with, right? And I know that some of you are sitting here this morning and you have hurt and trauma in your past, in your history. You've been through some stuff, and my goal up here this morning is not to stand here in judgment and say, God did that to you for some greater good in the future. Sometimes life sucks and people make horrible decisions that have nothing to do with the plan of God. That's a conversation worth having, but it's a different one. That's not what I wanna talk about this morning, okay? What I wanna talk about, because there are sometimes, some of the difficulties, some of the hardships, maybe most of them, that are exactly what David is talking about here in Psalm 23, where God is leading us into them because this is where we need to go. And it's interesting to me because it's so easy sometimes in my own life to settle for those bad answers, like the sheep are in the valley because they stink at being sheep or because the shepherd's maybe not so good. But when I look at the story of Jesus, neither of those answers cut it. Neither of those answers explain the story of Jesus. Because Jesus wasn't sinful, was he? He wasn't in the valley of the shadow of death because of his own fault and he wasn't there because God somehow forgot about him or left him alone. Was he a sinful person? No. Did God lead him into the desert for 40 days of fasting to be tempted by the enemy? Yeah. Led into the desert. Was he led into a season of ministry where he would be largely misunderstood and villainized by the people that he was trying to minister to? Led. God walked him there. The shepherd took him there. Was Jesus led into moments of very human hurt like the death of his good friend Lazarus? Was Jesus led into the garden where he wrestled with these exact questions himself? My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Was he led to the cross? Was he led to the grave? Every step along the way, and the bad answers don't cut it, right? There's got to be a different answer in Jesus' case. But then I am reminded that not only was he led into these difficulties and hardships and pains, he was led out of the grave into resurrection life. Amen? And that's the promise that we have as well as we find ourselves in these spaces, in these times. Because that's ultimately the exact promise of Psalm 23, isn't it? That the valley of the shadow of death leads somewhere and that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever afterward. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Because no matter what we go through, the shepherd of our souls is right beside us the whole way, isn't he? He is not absent from the process, bringing us guidance, bringing us comfort. He will take us through the valley sometimes, but he's also going to take us through the valley to the other side. The pain that we experience, we're promised that it is only temporary, that our mourning can be exchanged for dancing our weeping for joy, and that we will experience God's love and kindness all the days of our life. And that's a good promise to hang on to, isn't it? The hope that we have in Jesus is a hope born from the knowledge that our God is good and that our shepherd is in the process of leading us forward into the goodness that he has designed us for. He is capable and our shepherd has come armed for the journey, hasn't he? He understands the dangers along the road and he is present with us. I'm reminded, I was talking to my wife about this message sort of prepping. Whenever I preach, I always run it by her. She's my filter, and she is not afraid to be the one to sit there and tell me, eh, it could be better. And as we were talking about this one, she was struck with this idea. She said, it's like all these stories you read where there's this older mentor character who walks with the hero. You know, whether it's Gandalf or like obviously Aslan from the Chronicles of Narnia plays this role, right? So well, and you've got this older capable character, and anytime they lead the hero or heroes on a journey, like as long as they are there, There's a sense of safety and a sense of, you know what, I don't care how dark this gets, it's going to be okay because Aslan is here, right? And she pointed out, she said, how easy is it for us to forget that as we walk with Jesus? How often do I forget that Jesus is the one walking with me, that God is the capable one who is equipped for the journey and who is walking with me? It's so easy for me to feel alone and forgotten about and left out, like he's somehow absent or taking care of other sheep. Our God is big enough to take care of all the sheep at the same time, isn't he? And he is here with us this morning and in everything that we go through. There's one last thought that I want to leave you guys with before we start to wrap up this morning. And I want to be cautious with this one. I want to share this with you because during 2020, as I was grieving the loss of my dad, and as our church was going through our transition, waiting for our next lead pastor, God asked me a question in the middle of my wrestling and it was a question that brought me a huge amount of peace and a huge amount of encouragement and I want to offer it this morning in case it does the same for you but I offer it hesitantly because I realize full well that it may not be as encouraging for you as it has been for me so if I share this and if it's not feel free to just ignore it drop it on the floor and walk out without it this morning okay but I was going to God and I was, I was asking him all these questions like, how did I get here? How did we get here? Is this really the right path? Are you sure you're in charge in this moment? Are you sure you're leading us in the right direction? How do I understand dad's passing hurts and it just seems wrong in so many ways? And I remember sitting with God in prayer and I heard him say something to me that I hope I never forget. But he spoke to me and he shared this question and he said, what if I could promise you that it was better this way? What if I could promise you that it was better this way? And in that moment, I remember thinking, God, if you could promise me that it was better this way, yeah, that would resolve a lot of what I'm feeling right now. That would give me peace and encouragement in a lot of what I'm wrestling with. If you could promise me that the road I'm on right now, the path that you are leading me into, that this was better than any other alternative, I'm willing to be satisfied with that. And I can live in a little bit of peace. And so that's my encouragement this morning, that when the shepherd leads us into that space, when he is the one guiding us, he's doing it because it is better this way. It doesn't stop it from hurting, but it reminds us that he is with us and that we are going somewhere good. Dan, do you, wanna, do you and the team want to come back up here? We're going to end with a little bit of worship in just a moment. But as I finish today, I want to give you guys a question that you can take home with you and kind of wrestle with in your own time. And the question is this. Where are you in Psalm 23 today? Where are you in your journey? Ask yourself that question, and please be honest about the answer. Go to God in prayer. Think about this. Talk about this with people in your life. Maybe you're lying in green pastures right now. Maybe you are beside still waters and God is restoring your soul. And if that's your space this morning, if that's your story, then rejoice and praise God for that season of life. But maybe you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death today. And I want you to know it's okay to be scared and it's okay to hurt and it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to go to God and say, God, what is going on right now? Help me understand. And my encouragement this morning is if that's the space of life that you're in, talk to some people around you. Let them know and get them praying with you as well. There are other sheep on this journey. Include them in your process. Either rejoice with them or draw them into your questioning and your grief. I said at the beginning that my goal was to leave us with a sense of hope. And hope comes in knowing that the shepherd is close and that he is going somewhere. Hope doesn't come from expecting that God will always avoid the valleys in our life. He is leading us, and there is a way through to something better. This is a season for us to lean into God, to lean into Jesus, because he is worth leaning on. Amen? Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for this time, for this space, for this church, for these people. I thank you for what you are doing in this body of believers and for where you are going. You have not forgotten about us. You are not absent from this journey and you have good things in store in the future. Remind us of that. Keep us hoping in you. Keep us trusting in you. Speak encouragement, speak grace, speak love this morning and remind us that you are a good shepherd and that you are going somewhere good and you are bringing us along for the ride, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.